a child's death that has haunted the town of Pekin for the past year. On November 18th, 13-year-old Robert B. was reported as a runaway by his mother. However, we have been in touch with the Illinois State Police and are in the process of entering information of a missing or endangered person advisory. And what happened to Robert B. brought people in Pekin out to search for answers themselves weekend after weekend. Thousands of leads poured into the Pekin Police Department. The search for the teenager coming to a halt on a hot July day when his skeletal remains were found. Are listening to an episode of Ashes to Ash TV, The Disappearance of Robert B. Episode 23, The Jerry Tape. So I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. I know it's been kind of a crazy season. I do feel like we've uncovered some great information and we've been able to show how those theories came about and how likely they could be. Obviously everything is alleged on this show, so nothing is 100%. We do not know anything for fact. We just try to ask the people who were there and get their information and try to showcase in the best light what we believe the possibilities of that theory being accurate or inaccurate are. We've definitely had some major setbacks with this series. And I think one of the hardest things that I've been dealing with is the lack of law enforcement's interest in our information. I had given them the name of a woman probably about eight months ago who has a very powerful connection to this and had a lot of information. And unfortunately, they never even followed up with her. I spoke to her the other day and the cops have taken zero interest in the fact that I had given them her name and, uh, and told them what information that she might have and they never even followed up on it. It's stuff like this that's really heartbreaking. I think this case could be solved really easy if everybody would just stop and talk to the people involved because I think there are a lot of red flags here and I think there is a lot of information and evidence still out there and I really wish the cops would take some of the theories that we've been saying seriously. Now I just also want to say I have no for sure evidence that they're not taking them seriously. I obviously do not work at the police station and they do keep their information close to their chest so maybe they are investigating. It just is really shocking to me when I have given such a great lead and nobody has followed up on it and it's been eight months now. So I think that's one thing that's really heartbreaking and quite a setback. Please understand that we are still working very hard on this case. It's just from behind the scenes now. So I promise you I will do an update episode or if a new information comes forward, we'll of course put that out on an episode. But I think for now it's really our time to kind of take a step back and start really working this case from behind the scenes to see if we can get somebody to listen to us and take the information we have seriously, meaning just really investigate it. Obviously, we're not 100% sure on anything, but it would be really nice to know that this case was investigated with a serious note to it. So one of these videos that I really wanted to show today, I had battled over for quite a while. I got it eight months ago. I turned it into the cops very quickly after I got it. I want to say within 48 hours. And I think the video has a lot of interesting information and I think it's pretty powerful. Some of the statements are made in it. The video is a person interviewing Jerry. And as you guys know, Jerry was the gentleman who was renting the house at 1400 Halman during the time that Bonsai allegedly was murdered. And when I interviewed him, he kind of kept a lot of the information close to his chest. He was very much like, this is hearsay. And I felt like he was not willing to divulge a lot on camera. 
During this interview, he does divulge a lot more, and I think there's some statements made that are extremely powerful and compelling. I want to just show you guys the video, but unfortunately I can't, and the reasons for that is the person who's doing the interview, I don't want to get them hurt or in trouble in any way, so unfortunately we can't use it for that aspect. I also can't use it because of the location that they're in. The location is quite obvious and people would know where they were and that would lead them back to who was doing the interview. And the last reason I can't use the actual video because I did think, well, at least maybe I could use the audio and just cut out the interviewer's voice so that that person wouldn't be recognized. But one more issue that we have is there, it's rather noisy in the background and there's popular music playing and the problem is it's very hard to post something on YouTube with popular music without it getting flagged, pulled down, not being able to watch it or get in trouble for using that music even though it's not music I obviously selected for the video, it's just playing in the background. So we tried to troubleshoot ways that we could show you the information without jeopardizing anybody's safety but also to let you know what was said on the tape. So basically we recreated what was said on the tape but in the studio here. So we hired an actor to listen to the audio and speak the words that Jerry was speaking. And then I listened to the audio and watched the tape at the same time and spoke the words of the interviewer. That way you could still see the information that's coming out. We tried to keep the video as close to accurate as possible. Obviously there are some times that things are unintelligible, but we did not try to make up words when they were unintelligible. We just didn't use those sentences if we felt like we couldn't tell what they were trying to say. I felt like we very much stuck to the context of the video. So the actual video was probably about 40 minutes long. We did cut it down because a lot of the conversation is like an in-between banter, but it was not, I don't believe, necessary for the information we're showing you. We, we are bringing you the important parts of that audio, and even sometimes when it's a little bit confusing um, or it doesn't add up to me, we're still showcasing that. The last thing I ever want to do is take anything out of context. So we made sure we really stuck very good to what the person was trying to say and we made sure that there was no edits taken out that changed what they were trying to say in any way. The words that you hear on the video are actually the words that were spoken by the people. We did speak their words word for word basically so you will get a very close idea of what was said and how it was said. So without further ado, here is that video. Who all was there? Just Teresa, Seidel, and Josh? Who else was there? Kira, Teresa. John Tandy, Randy Seidel, and Kira. And there may have been other people that I don't know. I know the people, except for Randy, were there all the time. Wasn't that Josh's over there too? Oh. And what's the other one they have? Josh and the other one, didn't he live right by you or something? No. Um, how came into it is I guess they took that cooler and put it in his garage. Was that your cooler? It might have been. It was a cooler that was in the basement. One thing that is, a 13-year-old boy ain't gonna fit in a cooler. From what I understand, they cut him up. And, and, and there's some more shit behind it. It goes way deeper. And this is why I'm worried. But you were questioned about this before you even went to prison, right? No, no. I thought I mean, you I said you jail, knew something about it. But, but I was in Tazewell County. John Roberts, he had said he heard Josh McCreary say the same thing to him as he did to me. Oh, while you were sitting in jail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and he told them they needed to talk to Jerry Birch, you know, and they called me down there. And hell, I didn't know anything. I didn't know shit then. Right, you're kind of like, what? 
Yeah, I'm like, what? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I do remember him saying this. That was the beginning of my thoughts on, he did something. You know, he did something. Two days, a day or so before, they called him missing. Um, I was sitting in the living room, and I just got off of work. It was seven in the morning. Right. And I was sitting in the living room with Tara. And that was his girlfriend, but she stayed with me. And, uh... Is that Josh's? Yeah, she was his sometimes girlfriend. And, uh, he comes in. He didn't know. I had gotten up and was walking into my bathroom. And he didn't know I was there. And he says, uh, Tara, I done something that they're gonna, if they find out, they're gonna put me away for the rest of my life. He said, I just want to see what it felt like to kill somebody. And I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? Because he didn't know I was there. Well, and he shut up. I mean, he had a look of a demon in his eyes. Oh, he didn't know you were there. No, he didn't know I was there. Mm, I gotcha. And as soon as he seen me, he shut the fuck up. And I mean, he had a look of demon in his eyes. He was telling Tara that his girlfriend. And he grabbed her and pulls her out the door. And then, and takes off. A couple days later, you hear that Robert B's missing. And I'm sitting here thinking, what the fuck did he do to put him away for the rest of his life? And you know, you wanted to see what it felt like to kill somebody? But what, she's there that night that it supposedly happened? Tara, Tara stayed with me, she lived with me. She had, had went to her mom's or something that night and, and she met me, meeting me in the morning. And I didn't think, you know, all that time, I'm thinking, what the fuck did he do that would put him away for the rest of his life? Did he kill someone? Then a couple days later, Robert B came up missing, but I still, you know, he's missing. Did they ever come back over after he got missed and get nervous or anything? Or, or anything? Or did they just stop showing up? They were really nervous. One, Teresa, Wally, and, and, uh, John, little John, Tandy. I looked out there one morning and they were acting really suspicious. And they were, and they were piling blankets on something in the back of her van. And they left, and I didn't see them for a day and a half. And all of them came back and they were fucking cray. You know what I mean? They look like they've been down the road. Right. And uh, I never did hear nothing more from them. Then you went to jail and, and all I that. And I went to jail. I went to jail is because they thought I knew something. Right. Because they want to get me out of the picture. Well, you said they were all there messing up while you were gone at work, right? Yeah, yeah. every night. And if I didn't work, if I didn't, if I didn't leave the door unlocked or something, they just kicked the door in and they would party all night and leave when I come home. It's right. summer, I can't keep them out of there. In, impossible, I called the cops and they would just blow me off. So now when this Kendra, you didn't know her when you lived in that house, right? No. So that's what I'm saying, how'd you get to know her? No, I knew she was Danny Dahl's girlfriend. Oh, so, Sidel so or nobody ever introduced you? No, I met her, I met her through at Kathy Seidel's house. Relation to Randy Seidel. Randy Seidel's dad and his stepmom. Stepmom, right. And I met her there. Because her and Seidel were friends, evidently, right? Yeah, she was. Somebody had stole my phone, and uh, they told me to go down there and said, Kendra has your phone. Okay, so I went down there and she gave me my phone back, and that's how I met her. Well, I never, never, ever hardly seen her until I moved out of that place, and I moved to my other place across town where I got in trouble at. That's when she started coming there. Danny bring her over, they get in fights. Danny bring her over, drop her off at my right. house. And she, and she, she stayed with me all the time like that. Still, I wasn't thinking nothing about 
having a murder in my house or anything, you know. So you got in trouble, you went to prison, and then you got back out. And did any of those guys come around to you when you got back out? When I got out, I went and seen Tara because she had the baby. Right. And she and me and her were really close. I go, I go see her and the baby, and while we're sitting there, I'm talking to her, checking out the baby, you know. She goes, starts asking me questions about if I knew anything about Robert B. and this and that. And you know, and then I start asking her questions about that. And by the time I was done, the story I had is, is the story that I told. Right. I asked her, and in between there, that was like in February, and about May, in between there, I heard other stories, but they all sang. Right. And, and they all implicated Teresa pushing him down, down my steps, and Josh McCreary and Jonathan Tandy is the one that brought him over, and the kid probably had drugs on him or something and they got him all fucked up, and he started acting up, and Teresa or somebody pushed him down the stairs. That's why I say I, I'm not pointing a finger right. at anybody because I don't know. It's hearsay. Somebody pushed him down my stairs. They thought he broke his neck. So they went, Josh went down there and finished him Did off. Did anyone actually see Josh down there choking him? Yeah, they couldn't get him off. He was crazed. He just did a big shot of dope, and he was fucking raw. Right, right and they couldn't get him off. And they said he was choking him five minutes after they thought he was dead. He was still choking him. You think he's that goofy to cut someone up though? Yes. Wow. Cause you ain't gonna put a 13 year old boy into a cooler unless he's dismembered. No, no, no. They have these things called the snuff videos. And I believe, I honestly believe they filmed it because Teresa, I, 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 I've seen her in a snuff, but I don't know if any of that shit's true, but it is what I was told. It was a snuff video. That's why they cut him up, to make the video. So anyway, you got out of prison. And I got out of prison, and I went and talked to Tara, and I got that same story from her. I honestly think that it happened in my house was bullshit, but you can tell they're trying to make it part of the story. Did any of those guys come around you when you got out of prison, like Josh no. or any we'll of them? We'll see, after I talked to Tara, she told me Josh told, Josh told her that she couldn't talk to me anymore. And she blocked, he made her block me, and everything. And she's scared of him. What about Teresa and all them? Teresa, now a couple months later, after, and I had to talk to a couple other people, a couple weeks later, a couple months later, Teresa comes to my house, spends the weekend with me, next thing you know, we had, and she starts telling me the same story. She says, Kendra. Pushed her down the, the one stairs. that's staying with you right now, Kendra, yeah. right? She pushed him down the steps. And she wasn't, as far as I know, she wasn't, she wasn't coming around. Like I said, I didn't meet her and start coming around until I was living across town. And uh, all of them point fingers at Teresa. Well, the, uh, they found him. Teresa thinks she's a psychic. You know, she thinks she's a, like uh, Greta Alexander right, or something right. like. We were sitting, I was a witness to this. We were sitting in my living room and she has a candle going and, and she's doing her little chant and all the shit. She describes, she describes perfectly where that kid was gonna be found. Both places, the skull up there by McNaughton Bridge and the rest of it. The skull, where? 
the skull was supposed to be found somewhere else. Oh, they didn't find it at the spot? They didn't find it at the spot? See, they separated. They put it in two different places. I think, honestly, they moved him twice. So that's what I heard. They threw a cooler over the 474 bridge or something. Yeah, yeah, they moved him, the rest of his bones, but they moved him twice. There was some along down by the railroad tracks, next there by Twisted Spoke. So they went back and got him and moved him again. Yeah, and went and got him and moved him again. That's some messed up stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I swear to God. And this all happened in my house. You right, know, right. That's what I told the cops. I said, if I would have been there and known this, that little kid would have either gone home with a bump on his head or went to the hospital with a broken neck. But he would have went in an ambulance, you know, and not in a cooler. Right, right. Or, or I heard they had him in my freezer downstairs. You know what I mean? A refrigerator freezer, just like that. So you think they dismembered him at your house? Now, there's another thing. I, 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 I had a hearsay that they did it in the basement house that was next door. There was an old mattress that was downstairs on the floor in the basement, basement house, yeah. and they took him over there, and that's where they dismembered him, on that old mattress. Yeah, you gotta have a pretty sharp knife or a chainsaw or Fuck something. Yeah. <laughs> to cut a femur? Right. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna need pretty good. I guess they did that over, that over there, put him in the cooler, and they put the cooler in his garage. Across over by you, he lived, didn't he? He he lived, well, uh, you, you know, actually, I believe it was his shop. That's why they called it a garage. It was his shop. And it was something to do with a blue house. Yeah, too. didn't they say it started to smell and someone needed to get it out? Well, yeah, it started smelling. So they, they got him out. And I believe that's when they transferred him to different spots. To different spots. But in that little seance, Teresa described the area, everything. The places where he like was going to be. Like she was there and knew. Body and his, his, his. He's going to be separated, you know. There was going to be pieces of him laying around and whatnot. And she described it to a T. That exact spot where he was going to be, two days later, they found him So there. that pretty much says she was there then. She was there. She knows. They also said that the van that she had was used to move the body around. Right. And she, and she claims that somebody driving her van, well, Teresa never let nobody drive her van. And like I said, one day, the, uh, one day that I went out there and, and Wally and John, John, Tandy and Josh and Teresa were all putting blankets over something in that, in that van. And when they see me, you know, they were like, Real, acting really funny. Right. You know, like they were hiding something. They were hiding something from me because they did it the whole time, you know, and I never knew nothing about it. But they all, they all knew Kendra prior to that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, Kendra, Teresa did not, did not like her. None of the girls like Kendra. Right. None of the girls like Kendra. And uh, so that's it. And Kendra's got, a, she's got a really badass, bad temper. You know, she's uh, crazy. So it's a good person to point the finger at. Well, who was she living with at the time in that neighborhood? Who? Kendra. She was dating Dalton. And she wasn't even in the neighborhood. She was somewhere else. Right. See, that's why I never, she, I, I never seen her come around my house. I seen her over there. She never, uh, she never really started to come into my house until I moved over on Kathy Street. And then she'd come to me all the time, I guess. She was there all the time. 
Danny and her get in a fight and he dropped her off at when my house. When did she decide to tell you? Huh? When did Kendra decide to tell you what happened or what she, she heard or whatever? She, Kendra told me that that happened at my house. After you were out of jail in that? Yeah, after I got yeah. out of jail. She didn't know I knew anything and she wanted to tell me, you know, that, that uh, you know, Robert B. kid happened in my house and she told me and she implicated Teresa. So, so those two implicated each other. But like I said, the other three people that I talked to had the same story, but they all pointed the fingers at Teresa because she got, and she was fucking little John Tandy. He was 17. Right. She, she, she was fucking him and uh. What was all his involvement in it? Well, he's the one that brought the kid there, got him high, and and he, he, he might, you know, he said that the kid got, was really high, and he was starting to act up. And I'm not sure John didn't take care of his buddy, you know what I mean? Stand up for his girlfriend and, and you know, get out of here, and push him down the steps. And they said, and one story said he broke his neck, the other story said he bumped his head, whether he was dead or alive. So what did Wally and them help him do, dispose yeah, of the body? Yeah, Wally helped him dispose of the body. See, while I was in jail, I asked Wally about it. I said, hey man. Oh, while he was in jail? Yeah, yeah, they made him my celly. Right. I said, hey Wally, I started talking about Robert B. And he goes, shut the fuck up, man. And he didn't want to talk. He freaked the fuck out. He didn't want to say, he didn't want to talk nothing about it. He knows it's true. He may have been there. There are people who may have been there that, you know, like Kira, she was there. She lived with me. She lived on the front porch. She never had much really to do with those guys. She didn't care for them. She was a loner. Right. She was there, but I don't believe she knows. She told me, she don't know. She don't know what happened. She was on the front porch. Where, where to me that's logical because that's where she always stayed on the front porch in her room. So I think what's really great about this interview is it really clears up some stuff that I still had some questions about. And one of those questions was, was Kendra in the house the day that Bonsai was allegedly murdered? And I really don't feel like she was. There's many reasons for this. One is that she was the first person to come forward and I thought she was very forthcoming and very nervous. And so I thought that that would be rather short-sighted if you were involved in what happened to Bonsai. Another reason I don't feel like she was there is in this interview, you clearly say Jerry say that she wasn't really living there at the time and he didn't even really know her until he moved into his place on either Kathy or Catherine Street. I couldn't quite understand what he was saying. But I think that that's pretty telling that she most likely wasn't there at the time. And I know Andy had mentioned to me that she thought she saw Kendra's clothing in the living room. But if you hear Jerry talk about the state of the house and how women were in and out of the house and there was clothing everywhere and bags of clothing, I'm just not really sure if you would know 100% whose clothing was whose. So I'm not really sure if I believe that Kendra was living there at the time or if she was in and out of there at the time. Now, of course, she was friends with a lot of people in that house, so I, there are no guarantees on my part. 
but I do really have a strong feeling that she was not involved in this alleged theory at all. Another person I really feel like Jerry's video help clears is Kira, and I think we kind of already knew that, but from everyone I've heard from, Kira seems like quite the loner, and she did seem to hang out just on that front porch part, and I know we kind of went through the house quickly during one of the episodes, but the front porch is really kind of away from that back basement, and so I'm not even sure if you were on the front porch if you'd be able to hear what was happening in the basement. You also can walk through the back door, which it sounds like a lot of people did, so I feel like a lot of people might not even have walked through that front porch area. So I do feel like that that's very believable that she was kind of secluded up there. And then the fact that she kept to herself makes me believe that she might not have known or been involved if something did happen within that house. And nobody else has stated that she was actually involved with what might have happened to Bonsai. So I think that's pretty strong to know that she probably had no idea what was happening. And when I talked to her, she seemed very genuine when I was asking the questions and when she was trying to figure out if something could have happened while she was in that house. And then I think the last person here is Jerry. I've always had some concerns if he knew more than he was saying. And I still have some concerns if he knows more than what he is saying. But I do believe now that I don't think he was involved in what happened to Bonsai. I know what Andy said, that she had seen something kind of confusing at the stairs there. I'm not sure if that was the alleged night that Bonsai ended up dying. I felt like what she was saying kind of could have been any day. Jerry had drug addicts kind of in and out of that house. There could have been chaos happening within that house and he might just not have wanted Andy to know what was going on there. So I'm not really sure that that is compelling enough to make me feel like Jerry was somehow involved. It also does seem very believable and I've had people confirm around what time he went to work and what time he came home from work and that seems to really fit with his timeline of his work schedule. And then lastly I feel like how he found out the information that this alleged theory could have potentially happened in his house. I feel like when you look at how he says it, I've talked to him multiple times and he said the same thing. And so I really feel like as you start to build that, you can really see that there's probably accuracy in with how he's saying that and the information that he's bringing forward. Now, back to the interview. I just can't see someone having the balls to cut the body up. I'd be having nightmares. You'd have to think about there'd be blood if you were disposing of him. There'd be that much blood. Until he's all out. But if he was in a cooler, you know. Yeah, he had to be in a deep freeze or something. They said they said they did it in a basement house next door, or they really must have cleaned it up. Well, you can't you can't clean all that blood up, because you know the cops have those spray you spray on it yeah. that detects blood or lumina or something. Yep, lumina. But man, you'd have to have a chainsaw or something, you know, or one hell of a sharp knife. Or yeah, a big bony knife. You think Josh would really do something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the demon in his eyes. I can't believe the cops aren't pulling any of them in and questioning them or anything. What's the duct tape? Was he wrapped up in duct tape? What's the deal there? I don't know. I don't know nothing about the duct tape. You think they had him like wrapped in a blanket and duct taped up or something? And that duct tape is, I can guarantee, is the duct tape I took home. <laughs> so I just want to break into the episode really quick and remind everybody to watch season two if you're not already. It's getting extremely intense. We have 13 episodes out now. There will probably be about 20 by the time it's all said and done. But we're having some major successes with that case and we have some great information coming in. So definitely tune in if you're interested in season two. Also, we are about to start releasing season three, which is about Kendrick Johnson out of Georgia. 
that series we've already done a lot of great interviews and we've already been out in Georgia shooting so I think you're going to see that that's going to become a very powerful season very fast that's a very big case for us to be working on so we're very excited that we had the trust of the community and the people involved to allow us to come in and talk to them and interview with them. She saw him leave that morning, but he didn't come back that afternoon. He didn't show up that night. Nobody heard from him. The teen's body was found in a rolled up gym mat in a high school in 2013. His death ruled accidental. They came straight in. We don't we don't find any signs of foul play. You don't think it's odd that a child rolled up in a gym mat in a high school is foul play? saying that he dove into the mat to retrieve his shoe, but the family has suspected foul play since that January day. Ash and Bree are in Georgia. Say my name and remember what you've done. Your hurricane has blackened out the sun. It's the second time Jacqueline Johnson cried next to her son Kendrick's grave. The first time he was being lowered into the ground. This time he's being pulled out of it. And when we buried Kendrick, we thought we was burying Kendrick, not half of Kendrick. You can't continue to kill unarmed black people and get away with it. But if Kendrick did die of an accident, how, with all that distrust, how could you even ever show that? But then on the flip side, is they didn't treat it like it, it could have been a homicide. So many different versions of the story out there. Flounds County Sheriff Ashley Polk announced officials were reopening the investigation. Only angle is to find justice for my son. They took this cover for somebody and just threw it up on the rug like this will go away. It might go away to y'all, but we're not letting it go away. <laughs> You can just tell death had come through our family, and it just settled. So that season should start in April, so definitely tune in. Also, if you have the ability to subscribe, please do on our website. You get discounts on merchandise. You get to see episodes up to a week early. You get to see uncut footage and behind the scenes footage. And one of the really fun perks is you get to be part of our private Facebook subscriber group. And that just gives you more access to the crew and asking questions and kind of a more personal Q&A. If you have a question, you can ask on there and we'll definitely get back to you. So please subscribe if you can. The show is always free, obviously, because we want people to see it and give us tips so that we can help solve these cases. And if you do subscribe and can subscribe, that money just goes back into trying to solve these cases. So please go to the website if you want to subscribe. Ashes to Ash TV.com. www.ashestoashtv.com. And now back to the episode. Teresa was running around her van and she had, she had bones in her van for a while. She was doing some fucking kind of witchcraft shit with it. I swear to God, dude. Well, how much older is that Teresa than that John, John Tandy you Teresa, said? Teresa's about 45, 46, and he was only 17. Oh, wow. But none of the guys, none of the guys who were in that house want to talk to that lady. No, they, they don't want to talk to the cops either. None of them. Well, they didn't really plan it, so you can't really... It was an accident. I don't know. Why'd Jonathan bring that kid down there? 
Right, you said the kid had some dope, so, Well, right? the kid said he had that. Were they even at your house that day? He supposedly came up missing? I don't know. When he got home? I, I, I can't remember, really. I think, I think they were, they were there all the time. See, Teresa would come in like she was moving in. Right. We arranged everything in your house, and that was, that was so they could do inventory. Inventory on what they were gonna steal, or where they know where everything's at. And then, a couple days later, I'd have, she'd leave, and I'd have another one come in. And, and they're moving in, rearranging the house. How big was that cooler? It couldn't have been too big, was it? It was a, it was a 48 quart. It had Christmas decorations in it. You could actually put a 13-year-old boy hole in that? If you cut him up, probably. The kid was, he was a little, he was a little guy. Yeah, he's a little guy. From, you know, from what everybody says. Well, a 13-year-old, he's got to be at least 105 pounds, 90 to 110, he, he something was, uh, like that. He was small for his age, I mean. He was a little guy. If you look at the pictures of him, you could tell. He's not very big. I just want to remind everyone that Bonsai's story is far from over for us. Just because there's going to be less posted from us about it does not mean we're not still working on it. We do not just walk away from cases. We are still fighting this, just more behind the scenes. As we get into some of these more speaking to higher level authorities and stuff like that, it is harder to get people on camera. So please know that we are working very hard behind the scenes and we will give you updates if they come in. And even if we're not involved in an update, but a news update does come out, we will try to cover it and allow you guys to know the most up-to-date information on what's happening with Bonsai's case. And I really hope that law enforcement is taking this case seriously and that we will see some movement of it in the next few months or even years. Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino, Assistant Editor Michael Howard, Production Manager Bree Blankenfeld, Associate Producer Kate Giordano, Actor Ashley, Production Team Generic Brand Human. Please follow us on Facebook at Ashes to Ash True Crime and on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Ashes to Ash TV. Interviews for this episode, Andy, and the actor who plays Bonsai, Barrett. If you have any tips or information, we can keep you anonymous. Please contact us at ashland57 at gmail.com. A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. If you know of any illegal activity involving this case, please reach out to your local law enforcement.